We all remember the first time we saw Gollum in Lord of the Rings The Two Towers. And the image of Andy Serkis wearing a skin-tight mocap lycra suit with tiny white small balls on it can still make me wake up in the middle of the night screaming in anguish. Gollum made the world discover motion capture. And today the technique is used everywhere. Not just in films about fish-eating bipolar cave dwellers with a taste for magical rings. Motion capture, or mocap as we like to call it, is used in films and games and TV and at hospitals and universities too. It's basically everywhere these days. So let's talk mocap. Let's dive into the world of tiny white balls and spandex suits. Welcome to Yellow Brick Road, a podcast about visual effects, animation and digital mastery. Hi everyone, I'm Nils Lagergren and today we're going to explain and discuss motion capture. I know absolutely nothing about this, so more than ever I need experts to help explaining it. So today I'm joined by Anton Söderhell and Samuel Tuskling, motion capture veterans with years and years in the business. Welcome guys. Hey, thank you. Glad to have you here. Anton, how did you find your way into the world of motion capture? Uh, well, I've always been quite fascinated about the movement of the human body and, and also interested in in like the moving arts, so film, video games, dance, martial arts, like how far we can can push the human body um, and the beauty of it or the 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 scary parts of it as well like the emotions <laughs> the emotions motions can create basically um and also how how that can interact with uh, digital techniques um painting with motion for example and and experimenting with with that type of of art or expression hmm. um i studied film at the university and then started working as a director and a cinematographer for a small production post-production company uh, but i also k- kind of explored the more art side um, on evenings and weekends uh, doing music videos and s- some experimental dance videos but yeah it was always kind of focused around the the motion of the human body mm. So after a few years of that, I got a call from Imagination Studios and they thought I would be a good fit in their team. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure, actually, that Samuel had a (laughs) finger in the game. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a pinky or two, yeah. (laughs) No, I remember at the time uh, we were expanding quite rapidly and we needed help with uh, basically production management. And since I've known Anton since... I think seventh grade. Way too long. Man. Way too long. <laughs> I knew he would be a perfect fit. And Imagination Studios is, is a motion capture studio today, part of Goodbye Kansas. Yes. Um, Samuel, how, how did you find your way into motion capture? Yeah, so just like Anton, I've always been interested in moving arts. And uh, 
basically fascinated by the, all the techniques that were used creating all of my childhood masterpieces, <laughs> like Shenmue, the game, and uh, Jurassic Park, and Star Wars, and all of those beautiful mm -hmm. creations. Uh, so I figured after school I should pursue that path, basically. So through contacts I managed to get an internship at a game developing studio in Uppsala uh, at the sound department. Basically there I first realized how much effort and how many brilliant minds it takes to create a game. Uh, it's really astonishing. Uh, after my internship there, I managed to get a summer job at the mocap studio in Uppsala because they had really tight bonds with with uh, the game studio at the time. And I've been there ever since. The rest is history. The rest is history, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, how would you describe motion capture in, in, in one single sentence? The uh, art of digitalizing the motion of a person or an object. And, and the technique is much older than Lord of the Rings, right? It de depends a bit on how we define motion capture. But if, if we... Uh, if we go back to the the real beginning of it, we're back in the 19th century. Uh, so it basically predates cinema or was the, the, the reason why cinema was born, mm. <laughs> if you want to be a bit cocky with it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it, it was first utilized in the field of biomechanics um, as a photogrammetric analysis tool um, and this was kind of during the the later half of the 19th century and you might be familiar with a certain image sequence of a horse moving on a racetrack mm -hmm. um, and that was uh, yeah captured by Edward Muybridge yeah, so, so that um, image sequence is basically what what could be defined as the first example of motion capture that was the the driving force behind it how does this horse move what what are the forces hitting the ground how does the the rider position himself uh, is there ways we can optimize the the energy that goes into the movement maybe less contact with the ground all those type of things but this also then meant that oh we have moving moving images captured mm. if you play them rapidly it will <clears throat> yeah catch so the movement. exactly so so by by playing it back you basically had uh, a video sequence of a of a horse um which was then kind of further developed and that was the the birth of of cinema as as we know it but it, I think it's it's kind of funny how it's um, the the study of of motion drove us to create that technique that then became cinema, uh, and then the motion capture part. Uh, I'm going to go in a bit more into it, but that continued developing on the side, and now we're at a point in time where it's all kind of converging again. Uh, yeah. But uh, a lot of, of uh, filmmakers don't really have all this history behind it. So it feels like motion capture might be something very new and, and a modern uh, 
technique that kind of continued into to rotoscoping, a technique we, we still use today in, in film. Um, it was uh, 1915, uh, there was a lot of, or a series of small uh, animations, um, 2D animations, uh, and they used live action footage to to paint over each and every frame. Well, hmm. you all know what rotoscoping is, but that was basically what happened after a while. And that inspired Walt Disney to then go off and create Snow White. Um, and so well, Snow White was partly shot with real actors on which they painted yeah, the images. You, you have the, the dance scene, for example, mm. in Snow White was uh, uh, somewhat based on rotoscoping animation um, and it's then being used in quite a lot of the, the Disney classics as well it, it's in uh, The Beauty and the Beast and and all of the the great ones mm. <laughs> well if we fast forward a bit um, around the mid 90s uh, computer graphics and the, the 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 computer power, the raw power we had, had reached a performance level where uh, it basically allowed us to elaborate the 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 visual output of video games. I mean, you've all seen kind of Pong with just the two blocks and a dot mm -hmm. moving between them, which was still a game, but it, 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 there's. A bit of a gap until it's <laughs> it's a real visual impact on you. Um, so yeah, around the midnight midnight this uh, we had reached that level where we could uh, bring in rotoscoping into game production as well. So you had games like Mortal Kombat, uh, Prince of Persia, some of the the classics. They used rotoscoping as a technique for the the player movements in the game. I mean, basically what you're doing with, with uh, rotoscoping is that you're capturing the silhouette of a, uh, of a subject. Uh, and that's, that's great if the subject looks exactly as the the character you want to develop, uh, the character you want to have motion moving. Um, but maybe that's not always the case. You brought up Gollum, for example, and the circus and Gollum doesn't really look the same. Well, almost. <laughs> <laughs> What's it doing? Stupid fat hobbit. ruins it. Yeah, in parallel to all this kind of entertainment development of of motion capture, the biomechanical and medical field continued developing their methods of measuring uh, motion. There's a lot of different techniques to, to capture it. Maybe we'll dive into some of them a bit later in this podcast. Um, but basically, the, the rise of computer power and faster calculations um, led us to be able to to create what you today consider being motion capture, the skin tight suits and mm. the, the actor that looks a bit funny in the behind the scenes material. Um, but 
But instead of capturing them on a 2D plane, as you do in rotoscoping, we're now moving into capturing it in 3D. And to do that, you kind of need to capture the, the skeletal data um, of them instead of, of just a silhouette. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. So, what was so revolutionary about Gollum and the Veta mocap setup? Well, for the the second movie, The Two Towers, uh, it was basically the first time where motion capture was being shot on location for a film. Mm. So Andy Serkis, he could be dressed in his white uh, balls with his blue <laughs> lacquer <laughs> suit uh, on set outdoors together with the other actors acting with them instead of being isolated in a studio mm. uh, shooting of the mocap after the live action has been shot. So it was still early days, so I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of like compromises and um, and I'm sure they were still using techniques like rotoscoping and stuff, like combining them, but it basically sets, set the starting point for the industry to see, okay, this is where the technique is going in the future. This is what will be possible in the years to come. What's the difference of between motion capture and performance capture? It's a bit loose where the lines go. Um, I mean, we've kind of defined motion capture now as as capturing the motion of uh, of an actor. Uh, but generally speaking, when you say performance capture, it includes the the capture of facial movements and the voice recording as well. Mm. So you basically uh, shoot it as any other uh, film. <clears throat> you capture the whole performance of the acting, basically. Mm. So, but, but your studio in Uppsala is regarded as, as one of the finest and best motion capture studios in the world. Uh, and you record lots of motion capture for, for games and films and stuff. Uh, so let's talk through an ordinary mocap day, like the ones you do. Let's say that we're going to shoot a cinematic trailer with a giant and a warrior having a sword fight, and then they're, for example, interrupted by a flying monkey or something like that. How would you go about to prepare for such a shoot? It's a very typical shoot. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Monday morning. Yeah. Here's the flying monkey for you. We have a room filled of flying monkeys. <laughs> no, yeah, so basically we would try and assemble all of the information and all of the assets regarding the project. So going through all of the storyboards, reading the scripts, and uh, trying to um, define anything that we need to pay attention to from a technical perspective during the shoot. So how many characters are they inter interacting with each other? Are they interacting with the environment? Are they interacting with any props? Because um, if they're props, you, you have to build them. Of course, okay. yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of things to consider depending on what they're doing with the props, obviously. Like, are they hitting each other with it? Does it need to be soft? Yeah, mm. etc. And, and the props have uh, motion capture markers on them as well. Then, yeah. When that's done, we would start the casting process uh, to try and find actors that 
closely match the target that we have, both from a physical point of view and also from a performance. Like, are they supposed to deliver any drama scenes? Or, mm. um, but in this case, um, I would say we would try and find a, a big guy or girl as possible uh, for the giant, and then probably a, a lot smaller actor or actress athletically build for the warrior and then depending on the size of the flying monkey <laughs> <laughs> I guess a, a small girl or a guy that would fit the proportions as close as we can and then comes the day of the shoot and, uh, and the actors arrive they get their suits on and these white balls uh, how does that work the technique right Yeah, so the the technique we've been talking about previously uh, now has been kind of rotoscoping, and uh, Samuel touched a bit upon the balls and and the scale the of balls. the <laughs> the scale of the actors and and what we do with that. Um, to go a bit deeper into that, we uh, strategically place these retroreflective markers uh, on each. Uh, segment of the the actor's skeleton to be able to triangulate that and then we have a our studios filled with uh, motion capture cameras that have a ring light that reflects on these markers and then goes straight back into the camera each individual camera sees a two d grid with all these uh, markers but we don't really get any valuable information from from that so that's why we have all these cameras talk to each other in our capture computer uh, where we then generate a 3d grid and the, the position of all of these markers and that's being calculated from all these cameras saying i'm seeing this on mm. uh, on this specific place well i'm over here and i'm seeing it on this specific place, basic triangulation. What, 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 the phones, the phones. Uh, you said they were cops, right? They I, are I just, cops, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just thinking, like, maybe they can um, triangulate these things, man, or, like, you know, like, trace them, right? They totally, that's how they got Saddam. Right, Fuck. Right. you're right, man. Okay, well, maybe they can, like, uh, oh even trace them, like, when we're not even on them. You know, maybe, maybe if we bury him under the dirt, the reception will get cut off, and they won't like, be able to do it. Uh, tie it to an animal and like be like diversion. The distraction like, will never catch an animal. Uh, I, uh, the like squirrel the will be up in the tree. No, no, and they no. think we're in our the day start with us calibrating our system. So all these cameras that needs to see all these markers and know where they are in location, we need to tell them where are they, how far are the distances they're seeing, um, and uh, we have a, a calibration process in the morning. Um, It's, it has a few different parts, uh, something we call wanding, which is uh, the most fun to, to watch, I would say. It's usually... Looks like witchcraft, basically. <laughs> <laughs> And since our studio is also located in an old church, it's kind of fun running around with a wand. <laughs> um, Chasing away the evil spirits. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and when we have this uh, calibration in, in process, that generates our calibration file for the day. That's our uh, our ground truth for the system. After that calibration process, uh, we have the actors come in. We 
usually know their size before they come in. It's it's a standard question in the pre-production. Um, so they they get to jump into their suit, um, and then uh, our team places all the retro-reflecting markers on the positions we have in what we call our marker set. Um, do you want to expand on? Yeah, it's uh, roughly 70 markers, a little bit depending on what the action will be uh, that we place uh, on specific positions. And then once all of that is done, we tell the actors that if they need to go to the bathroom, let us know because we need to <laughs> put everything back <laughs> as it was before. Uh, and then we basically do a little morning gymnastics, as we call it, a range of motion, where we guide the actor or actress through a range of motions, basically to try and determine their, their range of which they can move uh, and also to give us some key poses in our to help us in post-processing. So when we do the fist, for example, we know the target rig should also do a fist, not a sloppy, mm. semi-open hand, stuff like that. Um, so once that process is done, we start shooting. Usually the director goes through the scenes with the, the actors, rehearse a bit, and while, we, while they do that, we set up the last few bits of, of, of our technical... And yeah, one part of that is the the real-time setup. Um, it's not something everyone wants to have on set, but we uh, have it as an option, um, which basically allows the, the talents and the directors to see uh, a real-time transfer of their uh, motion on the target rig or the target character. Mm. Real-time is basically a tool for the animators and actors to see uh, sketch of how the end result will be mm. for them to easier make decisions on set okay we need to try this instead or this or that it's not necessarily you shouldn't focus too much on it because it can be misleading at times but it's definitely a really good tool to have maybe you want it during rehearsal and if you're a giant maybe you want to see how is the giant moving with my body to kind of help you on the way of of getting the right body movement. Yeah, should we add any, add any weight to the... To exactly, the I was thinking of that. How, how to help the actors to if you're supposed to be a really huge monster. Well, do you add like weight to them or like... Yeah, I mean, a good physical actor in these, uh, in these circumstances is really good to have. Uh, basically an actor or actress who is who has good control of their body, who can man manipulate how they move. But you can only push it that far with your own movement. Sometimes you need external forces to help you. Adding weights or maybe even having ropes tied to the person so to constrain them a bit, mm -hmm. make them like... And that's the benefit of being in a motion capture studio because if you don't have markers on you, you're not showing up. Uh, so you could have four people uh, assisting you if you're going to jump really high or really quickly. Basically, someone else That's can lift true. you up. So in our example, with the little flying monkey, you could actually lift that actor yeah. to help it yeah. start to fly. <laughs> yeah. That's um, brilliant. Or we could work with uh, a stunt coordinator and have wires set up uh, if there's any, any more 
very specific maybe backflips or yeah yeah things like that we could really really help push to that as well i think we have a good trailer going here actually <laughs> <laughs> i think so too <laughs> but yeah then like during the day it's uh it's basically as any other shoot uh you have your your shot list your scenes you're going to get through um you keep rolling until you have uh takes that everyone's happy with maybe you want your alternative takes as well and that's fine and we always have the option of of playback during the shoot as well so maybe after lunch you start second guessing what you did the, the first scene of the day mm. so you could look back in that and make sure you really have it before you you walk away from the set and it's something we tend to do at least with more high profile productions at the the end of the day the the key stakeholders review the 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 best that takes or the selects um i think for some of the directors who are not used to motion capture it can be quite difficult for them to grasp at first okay so we're shooting this with the actors but capturing them from every angle possible at all mm -hmm. times so uh, instead of focusing from like a specific camera angle we're actually capturing all of it yeah uh, and that can be quite hard i think sometimes for them to to wrap their head around <laughs> <laughs> for the actors too yeah but also it's like a, bit, a bit like uh, theater acting in a way yeah but usually you don't want to tone it up uh, as much as you maybe do during theater. Like, I, I talked to one director and he said that basically the 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 best uh, picture you can give an actor beforehand is that you're you're going to perform on a like semi big theater stage. It's not mm. a small intimate theater where everyone will see all the details you put into it. But it's not uh, the, the grandest of theaters either. So maybe it's... It's not uh, Hollywood Bowl. No. <laughs> <laughs> How many minutes of, of motion capture can you shoot at per day? Depends on how quick you are. <laughs> and how advanced it is, obviously. Yeah. And, and when a shoot is done, uh, there's still lots of work to do, isn't it? Yes. So as Anton mentioned... What we're actually capturing is the markers in a 3D space. So the first step is basically going through all of that data, fixing all of the bits that are missing. Let's say the the actor's hand is covered be behind the other actor. Uh, I mean, our mocap mo cameras are really good, but they don't see through objects. So we need <laughs> other means to <laughs> to recreate that data. So it's basically created virtually. And that step is uh, called tracking. And when the tracking is done, uh, we need to transfer the positional uh, data of the markers to rotational data of the skeletons. Whether it's a human or a prop, we always tie the markers to a skeleton to drive, to drive the character. Mm. And that step is called solving. And then when the solving is done, we basically have the animation on a skeleton which matches the proportions of the actor, but that doesn't always or rarely match the proportions of the character. So we need to transfer that an animation and that step is called retargeting. And when the retargeting is done, we can basically ship the animation away to the 
motion editors and animators who can do the, the final touches, basically correcting any issues we had with scaling that we couldn't fix on set, or let's say they wanted to change the sword to be a dagger instead, so mm. we should hold it in one hand instead of two hands. They would do changes like that as well. Or extending a jump or this flying monkey, maybe it needs to fly 20 meters instead of 10 meters. And we didn't have enough room in our mm. volume to shoot that. So yeah, all those type of extra layers. Yeah. We, we mentioned that, that it's used by hospitals and universities. Uh, how, how do they use it? So we've just described a scenario where uh, we have an, an entertainment purpose. Mm. We're targeting to a giant and a flying monkey, and it's all things that doesn't exist. When you go into the medical field, you want to have uh, uh, true data, as we we probably would call it. Uh, it's the actual data of that specific subject. Mm. Um, and the reasons why you want to experiment with that, I'm probably not qualified enough. I don't have a doctor <laughs> doctor degree. But it could be uh, measuring forces of, of impact. Say that you're doing a, uh, you're trying out the security of a new car. How, mm. how safe the safety of the car? How what are the forces affecting the driver? if we hit another car or hit a wall. Mm. Um, but it could also be a scenario where, where you have a horse that can't tell you, my right leg is, is hurting. Mm. <laughs> and you need to, to understand what's going on exactly with this horse. And then you, you would probably not do as an elaborate marker set as we would use because we want to capture all of it. But maybe you only need to capture the the hip and the, the legs to see what's what's wrong. Going back to where we kind of started the discussion with this, the birth of motion capture in cinema, mm -hmm. uh, this horse on the racetrack, that was to, to optimize the movement. Uh, and that's still being used uh, to to get better race times or stronger bodies or more force into each and every every motion. Being able to compare, like, why is this horse so much faster than mm. the other horses? You can you can analyze it in detail and see, okay, it's using more force on the hind legs, for example, yada yada. So mm. you can really go into the nitty gritty of of all of the motions being applied, and it can be applied in. Uh, like firefighters as well. What's the optimal positions to be in? And then you can have training videos that really kind of helps them train in the, the most efficient way. It's fascinating. Yeah. How, how does the future look for motion capture? What haven't we seen yet? <laughs> there, Well, there's quite a lot of advancements being made currently. Um, we, we just in these recent years had uh, a technology called motion fields um, presented. Uh, not going to dive too deep into it, but basically you have uh, you have a person that runs in a specific pattern or a lot of patterns called dance cards. Um, 
which are meant to cover basically it's it's a very elaborate range of motion it should cover each and every movement this person person can do mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then through uh, um machine learning you can train uh, a system to know which uh, frame to pick from this animation for the input you're getting so say that you're playing a game you run forward and you turn right mm. and what we do today is that we break up all these different sections of that animation and and do them as separate shots but with this uh, motion fields you would have a, a giant database so we know that Samuel he he runs like this or we don't know that the computer knows this mm. <laughs> and then uh, when i'm playing the game and i'm pushing it then the it would just be a query from this database uh, but what that also allows is for for real personality to kind of come through in generated animation um so it, yeah just looking at the what's been done already with this you can really see that oh it is actually Samuel going there because mm-hmm. he has this thing with his uh, with a flick of his hand he does when he's jogging for example but he doesn't do when he's sprinting or mm. walking so all those kind of details are coming through mm. and if we get a bit like philosophical on on that field with the rise of ai happening as well you could basically be looking at having uh, very very uh, believable ai representations of of everyone mm. if we recorded all of us and then we had an ai say okay so Samuel, you're going to the the food store to pick up some groceries anton you're going to you're going to run along this uh, pavement and uh, nils you're going to be driving a car and get out and pick sam up So you have this whole scenario painted and uh, everything could just be generated mm. as we did it. Bringing that further, that could also allow us to do some pretty weird and random stuff. Mm. Say, we're with this uh, uh, debate about fake news going on mm. now, for example, we could potentially have a scenario where... Uh, we replicate a president's movement and we say oh look he was in this country and he did this mm. or things like that um that's scary that, that that's, is scary. that's that's, <laughs> that's scary but it could also allow us to kind of immortalize uh actors or and actresses or or say, loved ones yeah or loved people. ones yeah, yeah. so which uh, in my opinion is scary too yeah in a way <laughs> yeah like Well, that, now I got deep. Philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can go really deep, but that's that's for the next uh, episode, maybe. We'll do a special episode yeah. of life and death <laughs> in a digital world. Well, uh, from a mocap technology perspective, um, a lot of things has happened in the recent years regarding markerless capture. Oh yeah. Because like, it's a great technology that we have, but still, it requires a studio and a lot of great staff to be able to operate all of it. What if we could just have one camera in a living room, and uh, that's basically what you have when you buy a Kinect. Mm. You basically have a pretty pretty simple, uh, easy to set up 
uh, mocap system connected to your entertainment system. So you could be driving your digital avatars in real time, uh, playing games physically with your body as if it was actually you doing the motions. Mm. And I think uh, a lot of improvement will happen with that also in the coming years. We've only seen the beginning of it. Definitely. Well, one eternal question is the old classic. Will mo- I mean, motion capture, the technique is getting better and better. Will it kill classic key animation? I don't think that's ever been the, the goal or the purpose of it. Uh, I, I don't really see the, that there's a, even a debate to be had here. There's no us and them scenario. Uh, motion capture is a tool for for the animators. Uh, being a good animator is basically about conveying emotions through motions, um, whatever the techniques you use to, to get there. Um, so I think eventually it will be kind of common knowledge for all animators. This is how you use motion capture. Uh, is this a shot or a sequence uh, where we could utilize that tool? Sure. And then you would opt for, for using it. <laughs> it's like you don't really talk about a hammer carpenter and a saw carpenter. It's like <laughs> you talk about a carpenter and then they have their toolbox and they work with that. And through that, they can create great stuff. And it's the same thing for, for animators, I would say. Yeah, there are pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah. You can't saw with a hammer. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You can, but it will take a long time. Yeah. <laughs> In the next episode of this podcast, we will actually talk about key animation. Mm. Like, mm. But our time is up for today and the motion capture episode. It was great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. And you out there, as usual, if uh, you want to see some of the things we talked about, then do go to our website, goodbyekansasstudios.com. And next week, as I said, we'll talk about classic key animation, or more exactly, how to create the illusion of life and give an animated character a soul. It will be deep, I hope. Until next time, goodbye, à bientôt, auf Wiedersehen, wie hoch. <laughs>